Hi, I'm Gabe Fall, and I like to talk with my friends about video games. Today, I am sitting down with Luis Badillo. He is a features contributor for The Onion. He's a comic in the Chicagoland area, Chicago, Illinois, that is. And we are going to discuss his video game history and how they impacted his life. So, Luis E. <laughs> Luis E. That's what they call me. Luis E. Luis e. Badillo. Take a seat. I've got an extra gamepad for you. Hey, buddy. Thank, thanks. Thanks. Hey, thanks for the seat. Thanks for this gamepad. Ooh, check out this D-pad here. Yeah. The analog. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it said Mad Cats across the top. It's got a turbo button, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> I never knew. I've never figured out how to use a turbo button, nor how figured out how it was advantageous in fighting games. Is it a fighting game thing? Like, is that what it's for? Uh, that and also, like, games that require a ton of input. Uh, if you okay. ever played any of the Metal Gear Solids, there's, like, torture scenes that you have to survive by putting on, like, by smashing the button, right? Oh, okay. But but the game would also, like, the villain would look at the camera and say, like, hey, don't turn on turbo, or I'll know. <laughs> like, damn, this game just talked to me. Fine, all right. You got me. That game did a lot of talking to you. Wasn't that the game also where the guy would, like, read your memory card? That's exactly, that's also another fourth wall breaking thing. Uh, if you fought Psycho Mantis, yeah. uh, he would read your PS1, uh, card for other Konami games. Ch oh, only other Konami games? Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, if you got the GameCube version of the game, uh, it would, I think, do other Nintendo games as well. Like, hey, you like Super Smash Brothers, don't you? <laughs> And he got me. I love Super Smash Brothers. That figured me out, Psycho. Nice. Nice. He's in your head, taking you out from the inside. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that game series. Hey, we're here to talk about video games, aren't we? We are. We are. Which is what we're doing exactly. So, I can't imagine that Metal Gear Solid was the first game you ever played. Uh, no. It's not the first game I ever played, uh... So is that, is that is that where you're leading to? You want me to talk about the first game I ever played? Yeah, what was the first game I ever played? Oh, man. Um, this is a tricky question because I started playing games really young. Uh, probably, like, younger than, you know, like, advisable. My parents, like, got uh, an NES as, like, a, like, as a kind of a hand-me-down from our neighbors, right? Yeah, uh, and my mom thought it'd be a good idea. Like, oh, I bet there's like educational games on here. So, <laughs> pro probably the, the real, the real first ass video games I ever played were Sesame Street ABC and Sesame Street One Two Three on the NES. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I was, I must have been like three or four years old, like playing these games uh actually looked some up on youtube earlier today in preparation for this and i got like super nostalgic for like some of that sesame street ass music in 8-bit form yeah um and that that's not i i realize that's a thoroughly uninteresting answer it's just the real answer no for sure it's i think it's for people of for people of our age 
who were around like we we were born post NES, right? So right. like a lot of games had already come before us, so we had a lot kind of at our disposal when we were growing up and when we were little kids. Yeah, and at that point and this is probably why I got the NES, the neighbor kid uh had an SNES at that point. Uh so all all these other Nintendo games <laughs> they're for babies. Wants them. They can't even do 128 <laughs> colors. <laughs> Super Mario. Really got, this this guy's got a whole world going on now over here. <laughs> what did the What did the NES have? 64 colors. Uh, I bet. Uh, Is it the deal if it's eight bit? Is it eight eight by eight? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna nod and say yes. Okay. Uh, there there. I have no I, idea. I. <laughs> I, I have such a, a poor uh, recollection of, like, the actual physical limitations of the NES. Only, like, in some game design choices, like, I, I know why they made the games they made. Uh, because those limitations, I don't know what those limitations are. Um, and actually, if, if you have a gaming audience, I think the more interesting answer would be, like, when I was old enough to remember and, like, play, like, real-ass video games. Mm-hmm. Um it would have had to been uh, the first DuckTales for NES or uh, Kirby's Adventure. Yeah. Yeah, so those are like real, real mother effing video games. Yeah, DuckTales is a great game. Like, it still holds up for the most part. That game is good. Uh, those All those uh, Capcom-licensed Disney games mm-hmm. were generally of, like, a really high quality. Uh, I, I think a lot about, like, Aladdin or The Lion King for SNES yeah. or, like, yeah. the Genesis. Uh, and thinking, like, those were fun. Mickey's Magic Castle. That was, like, legitimately very good. Um, yeah, and I, I got in early on that. DuckTales has that really sweet moon theme. Are you familiar with that? No. Uh, do yourself a favor. Uh, maybe edit in here. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a, or for your listeners, t- take a pause. Uh, go on YouTube and type in the moon theme from uh, from Ducktales, and it is like a really delightful kind of like ethereal rock ballad on like NES hardware. Nice. Yeah, and and it's been covered like a hope like hundreds of times, and even in the. Uh, are you aware that there's a new Ducktales TV show? They rebooted it. Are you aware of that? No. Yeah. Did they do it for Disney Plus or? Yeah, it's on Disney XD, but you could probably catch oh, up okay. on it on Disney Plus. Okay. Uh, and it's legitimately like a really good show. Uh, some. Some really great. It's the type of show that I wish I was writing on. Like as a comedy writer, I really appreciate what they're going for. It's like yeah. fresh, fresh humor, uh, and also like tugging on that nostalgia a little bit, but not relying on it. It's not a crutch, right? Um, and the reason I bring it up here is because they, in that show, the moon is an important plot device to which they make they cover the NES like moon theme in their 2020 reboot of DuckTales and it made me so happy when I heard it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've got I've got a clip of it here from the NES. Let me see if I can get it to play. Yeah. Let's see. I listen to that percussion. This is sick. Yeah, doesn't this slap? <laughs> this is incredible. Oh, yeah. I love this. This song whips. <laughs> I will take it down before we get a copyright strike. I know Disney's yeah. coming after that. <laughs> yeah, they're not the most uh, friendly company when it comes to litigious matters. Uh, yeah, and that <laughs> that's that song is burned into my memory. Uh, because it is one of the first uh, video games I ever played, um, and it kind of – I remember beating that and, like, my dad being really impressed. Like, yeah, me and your uncle, we played we play video games too, but we never beat this. So uh, you did something we couldn't do. Nice. I was like, yeah, get used to it, pops. <laughs> and then four-year-old me took out a cigar. <laughs> Start smoking in the corner. <laughs> hey, uh, Dad, uh, why don't you get me that uh that Ninja Gaiden over there, huh? I show you the two about video games. <laughs> that was a real surly baby. It sounded real good, real good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's kind of where I started my my gaming uh, journey. I've been and 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 Gabe, not to pull the curtain too too hard but like you you've known me since high school uh, yes no and, I, I meant to bring that up as well we've known each other since high school yeah we went to high school <laughs> I, together yeah and even then i think more notably than some of our other uh classmates i was like a big you know gamer yes like, absolutely game. you were yeah uh I, I i i had that obsession then and i still have it now but like i've, I've controlled it that's a lie. I'm still as much of a gamer as I was back then. <laughs> yeah, you should check out my, my, my collection I have going on here. I actually did. I recently saw a video um, of you showing off your game collection. And I, I can't remember for the life of me, but can you can you plug that just for a second just so people know where to find it? Yeah, I'll send you a link too, but uh, that's my friend Osher's show, um, Show Me Your Things. Okay. And on there, he... Uh, he asked that I show him something I've owned since my childhood, and I showed off my NES and Genesis collection. Um, stuff that I've, that's probably the oldest thing I own. Um, yeah, and and it all still works. I'm I'm finding ways to see if I could stream them. Uh, it's like Twitch and Facebook Gaming right now. For I sure, still haven't quite figured it out. I figured out how to stream my uh, N64 collection. Uh, so you'll be seeing some of that too. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So you you stream on Twitch? Uh not yet. I'm getting okay. a setup for it. I've I just started like literally this week. Um like you you see this cool microphone setup I have. Yep, yep. Um and I I decided to spend way too much money on streaming gear. Uh and I've had a HDMI capture card for a while, so I'm just finally putting it to use. Nice. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you watched a lot of streams? Are you, I mean, are you into streams? Do you watch a lot of them? I, you know what? I don't. I actually find them entirely uninteresting. 
Okay. Uh, I and this, this, so this is a pa- weird paradox um, because I truly think uh, games as a as a medium uh, is their interactivity is is a vital part of them. Yeah. And and that's how I've chosen to um to to consume them. Like I I've I used to have some roommates and I my siblings and some of my friends um are all really enjoy streaming. Um uh, and they they not only enjoy see watching the game but they enjoy the commentary in it. And for me that detracts from what I enjoy about games. I like being a participant in a narrative or, you know, uh, right. playing around with this toy box, sandbox tech world. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's really vital for me to enjoy games like that. Uh, so the reason I think I'd be okay at streaming is because I, you know, I've been, I've been in comedy for a while. Uh, so oh, yes. I kind of, I've, I've been doing improv comedy for about six years here in Chicago. And I've been, doing some theater stuff before then as well. So I kind of get what it takes to be a presenter, to perform for other people, you know, to turn it on. So I, you know, I think it'd be good for that. Also quarantine times, it's real Evan Bourne. Yeah. I don't have that much to do, uh, after work or when I'm not writing, uh, comedy type stuff. So I figured, Hey, why don't I try to produce something that other people can enjoy? Uh, maybe laugh at. I don't know if it's like a good venue of comedy for me, but it's a at least a fun project. I think I think it will be, and I think that like comedic streamers, I think are some of the best streamers. And like it doesn't like as far as the games you choose, as far as the uh, the games you choose to a point. I think when you get started, but I think comedy is like the biggest element that people are looking for in streamers. Honestly, like for sure, I I'm already having a lot of dumb ideas uh, for it. I found this webs I found this website that lets you uh create video intros using like film production logos. So like Universal nice. Studios, Fox, yeah. uh, like you know, or Cinescope, like all all those uh ones you might see before a movie. So I figured what if I just every stream I just have a different one of those? Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be incredibly dumb. <laughs> Uh, I I also desperately want to get a good soundboard going, uh, yep. because I I I want like Biggie Smalls singing Mo Money More Problems anytime anyone donates something. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. I'm I'm thinking a lot of hip hop based stuff. Uh, listen, I got a Wu Tang uh, face mask coming in pretty soon. Nice. And I figured that'd just be my way of uh. Promoting good good practices. Yeah, yeah. yeah Corona so, ain't nothing to fuck with. Corona ain't nothing to fuck with, and neither is your personal health. Hi, I'm Luis Padillo, streamer <laughs> at large. You'd say, hey, uh, shame on a person who tried to rain game on a Corona. Don't look up what the lyrics to that are. They're bad. <laughs> God, it's man. <laughs> oh, I just want, I just want a, I, I want a stream now just of you quoting Wu Tang Clan in that way, just changing the lyrics just Wu-Tang, enough. Wu <laughs> Tang, Jay Z. Uh, I, 
I actually I know way too much DMX and Jay Z for someone who like a Latino kid who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, <laughs> who, who who spent most of their summers playing Pikmin in a basement. I think the first time I heard, uh, <laughs> I just caught that. <laughs> Sorry, just... <laughs> the first time that I heard DMX was in the suburbs of Chicago, and I, it was actually one of the first times like I saw a 3D video game. So that's also like, it's very uh, funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how it goes around here. DMX is not a whole lot to do with Chicago, but I think when he was – man, that guy was big everywhere. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to escape his influence. Absolutely, absolutely. Was he the one – no, he was Exhibit was the one who had the car show. Exhibit was the, the car show. Yeah. yeah, okay. Exhibit was yo, I heard you like to drive, so I put a car in your car. <laughs> put a car in your car. So you can drive. I saw an episode I saw an episode of Pimp My Rider that put TVs on the outside of the car. Like little like foreign <laughs> streets. They're like What the fuck is this? And even uh, exhibit at the end was like, What the fuck is this? So a funny thing about Pimp My Ride and like I'm sure there are articles about it, but uh, from what I know, the people who like were on the receiving end of those cars, who like got those cars as a prize or whatever, All right? Apparently, like their lives were like fiscally messed up for a while after that because it counts as a gift, so that has to be reported on taxes. Uh, oh, and and then also those cars were just like. You know, they're fun to look at, but they're not practical in any meaningful sense. No. So, like, oh, cool, you you put an aquarium in my car, but I I have to go work. I have to go take this to work. I have to pick up my kids from school, and if this car breaks down, who's, got, who's going to work on it? So, yeah. like, just complete, like, exhibit coming into people's lives being, like, a monk in automobile monkey's paw to these people. <laughs> I like to think that like, you're signing a contract with the devil with exhibit knocks at your door. <laughs> uh, that that's kind of what it is. Is like he is. You think you're getting something cool? He's fucking up your life. Don't let exhibit <laughs> touch your car. <laughs> no, he's worse. He's the worst. Yeah, he'll he'll mess you up. <laughs> uh, I, I do, I do want to get back to video games. I, I could talk about Pimp My Ride and how ridiculous that show is for like hours. I, I, could, I could talk about rappers' non-rap side of their careers forever. So let's <laughs> talk about video games. First of all, uh, before we do that again, Ja Rule and like his Firefest. Did you watch Firefest documentaries? I didn't, but uh, I oh, hear okay, fantastic. They're they're great because it's just they're perfect examples of the dumpster fire that the Firefest was, <laughs> and Ja Rule is in it for like way too long. <laughs> uh, again, before we get back to video games, you also yeah. need to look up uh, Ja Rule, uh, the Ja Rule commercial for a Greek restaurant called Papa Christos. Oh my God! Really. Yeah, he he's trying to do something nice for this struggling business in the middle of a pandemic. 
So he gets in front of a green screen and just improvises this entire commercial for Papa Christos, and it's delightful. Oh, my God. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, again, not gaming-related, but just life-related, something that'll enrich yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about video games. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so we talked about the first games that you ever played. Mm-hmm. Right. DuckTales, Kirby's Adventure, Sesame Street, pretty much all on the NES. Yes. Uh, what was the last game that you played? The last game that I uh, played, or the last game that I finished, was uh, The Outer Wilds. Yes. Uh, which uh, I, I saw you you endorse on Twitter. Uh, yes. So that game fucking rules. I agree. It's- yeah. Uh, yeah, that game, boy. Uh, so, uh, so one of our classmates, uh, Suka Song, uh, yes. if you remember him, uh, I still yeah, keep yeah. in touch with him. He is a, uh, a mildly successful hip hop star in Korea now. Oh, he's another, we're bringing it all back with rappers now. Yeah, we're bringing it back with rappers. Uh, this rapper friend of ours, uh, he actually turned me on to this because we still like talk a whole lot and primarily we talk about video games. Yeah. Uh, that's all we have and talk about. Uh, and, uh, this came up in conversation where I told him, oh yeah, Outer Wilds. I kind of missed out on that last year. I should probably play it sometime or something. And he was like, dude, you got to play it right now. And I was like, sure, I'll get to it. And next time I log into my computer, I see that he, like, gifted me a copy of it. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I got no excuse now. <laughs> uh, and, boy, what a... That's, so that game is precisely what I was talking about earlier, where being a participant in a narrative, being a part, or being able to mess around in kind of a big sandbox is integral to yeah. the game. Yeah, sometimes literally a sandbox in that game. Yeah, it, there's there are literal sandboxes in that game <laughs> yeah. that, that you need to mess around with, or else you won't know what's going on in this universe. You wasted right. your money, and uh, boy, it's uh, so for those people that may not be familiar with it, it's uh, it's kind of this it's it's this folksy space exploration game uh, that has you see the destruction of the solar system every 22 minutes. And I hope that's not a spoiler to say, but that is the premise no, of the no. game. No, they, they're very open about that, I think, in the thing. And it's a big mechanic. Yeah. So, uh, and I find it really interesting that the progression in that game isn't gated through, like, you know, like, picking up a hook shot or, like, you know, upgrading an Uzi or something. Uh, literally, the knowledge that you gain throughout the the solar system is what helps you progress through that game. Yeah. And I'm I'm really impressed with it because if you know how that game works, you can beat it in your first run through. Uh it's entirely yes. it's it's entirely possible to just go to the place, grab the thing, go to the other place, put the thing in there, and then beat boop bop boop, you've beaten the game. Right, but the the real the the real value of that game is, you know, learn there there's like an ex, an extinct race in there, like a, a like you know your typical forerunners from Halo, 
or or the Prometheans from Mass Effect. You're, there's one of those in there, but then kind of reading their what they've left behind in that world. Uh, it, it does a tremendous amount of world building in just that text, and also like the game mechanics and like the actual space exploration, the way each planet has gravity and how that like affects the way you play with the world. Yeah. It's entirely genius. Yeah. Uh, the quantum mechanics in that game, I'm not going to talk too much about that because that's like a big deal. That does get spoilery. I think we that, go. That, that is super spoilery. But like the fact that this video game like plays around with, you know, the concept of quantum mechanics is incredibly mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, that that's a game I'm glad I experienced. It, I think it's got to be one of my favorite games of this decade. Um, Absolutely. Over the, the past ten years. It's, it's a master class in game design, and I wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone that, you know, likes a video game that respects a player's intelligence and curiosity because that's all and, that game is and that i mean just the the amount of quote-unquote side quests in that game mm-hmm. for how small the actual game is or for how small the main story is really impressed me because i spent a ton of time as i was figuring it out i didn't read any spoilers i didn't try to you know i wanted to try to beat the game organically and it took forever you know, once I finally realized, like, oh, this can be done in 22 minutes and it should be done in 22 minutes. There's not some weird cheat where you can break space time or something, which, I mean, you can in that game, too. You, you but can do that. that. That game is so, it's so incredible. And just the amount of time I spent on those little side quests and little things that they had built for the game and for you to just understand the universe better and understand how the solar system, like, itself works and how each planet works... Oh my god, it's just so much fun. Yeah. I, was... I, to- I, I totally... I, I don't think I've felt like that way about a game since I played like the first Half-Life, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those games that really pushes the boundaries and like explores what a video game can be. Uh, and I... I can't tell if this is like the culmination of like a, the couple past years of game design. Like this game, I don't know if you've ever played a Gone Home. I ever, my God, I love Gone Home. It's one of my favorite games. It's the first game I ever like. It was the first game that ever gripped me so emotionally mm-hmm. that like I, I cried. I knew that video games were. A, like a very good vessel for storytelling when I played that game. It it's so fantastic. Yeah, and you know that that sort of like birthed an entire genre of what people derisively call walking simulators. Yep. But I, I do think it's like that's a valuable type of storytelling in video game. It works really well. It worked really well in Gone Home, and I feel like this is like a couple steps removed from it. But this game is essentially like. A sci-fi gone home. Yeah, it's it's uh, storytelling entirely through having you observe your environment, um, and and it go and it does a little extra in making you an active participant in that world. Right, right. But 
it, it's still kind of, you know, I don't think you would have one without the other. Uh, no. And if you're really interested in how that game was made, there's a really good documentary uh, by a guy named Danny O'Dwyer on YouTube. Uh, yes, uh, No Clip is his channel. No Clip is his channel, and that documentary is really fascinating in the, like, the challenges that they had to overcome to make that game work completely. And like I think there's still like an alpha version of that game when it was a student project out there. Yeah, yeah, because it was mm-hmm. it was entered into the uh, is it USC? I think it was USC, the USC um, student program or student games. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's what it, like what Journey came out of, mm-hmm. um, and was a flower beforehand. Those Genova Genova Chen games. Chen. Yeah, that's Genova a, Chen, yeah. That- a uh, flower, um, journey, and the one where you're like microscopic, microscopic things flow. Flow, yes, that's yeah. the one. Flow. Yeah. Uh, so again, that's that's a really good uh, documentary. I highly recommend anyone check that out if you're interested in the game. Uh, but yeah, Outer, Outer Wilds. It's it's kind of consumed my brain uh, in a weird way, even after. I finished playing it. It's stuck with me. Uh, because that game has some, it's, it's, and as, as fun as that game is as a, as a piece of mechanics, it also has some stuff to say, you know, about life, about, it has a philosophy to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, again, I'm not going to talk too much about it because it does kind of get spoilery, but it, it does have like this really reaffirming, uh, or something I interpret as reaffirming outlook on situations that might seem like dire or, you know, world ending. Mm-hmm. And and I think it has a real healthy attitude about it. Like it's a game about ultimately about death and letting go. Yeah. Uh, and the message it has behind it is incredibly touching. E- even like the, do you remember the Travelers theme? In that game, yes, yes, I've I've been I I own a couple instruments and I've just been like toying around like what if I I should just get this out of my system I should just like make a video where I play every instrument in the Traveler's theme I got a harmonica I got a guitar I got a clarinet that goes pretty low let's do it yeah yeah I uh, the music. And I, I'm glad you brought it up because the music in that game, like, and you were just saying about just how it kind of relates to death and how it's the acceptance of the end of life and the end of things. And to me, in my head, just that that theme, that traveler's theme, is when I die, that is what is going through my head. Or just <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it is about that music specifically, but it's so it grabs you in a way that you're. You're sad, you're happy, kind of all at the same time. Yeah, the the whole folksy nature or uh, angle aesthetic that that game has, I think, is expressed really well in that music. Uh, it's it's not a complicated theme at all, and frankly, it could get a little repetitive. But I think its simplicity is what really really sticks with me. It's just such an easy. But 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 sticky. It's kind of it. It is does have this earworm quality to it that 
I, I just need to get out of my system at this point. Yeah. For, for a long time, that was on my list of like best music of 2019 video or 2019 video games, like, which there was a lot of when you talk about Death Stranding and, mm-hmm. um, even the Outer Worlds had a great soundtrack and the Outer Wilds, of course, is my favorite. Like, I would just play that Spotify playlist over and over and over again, and it was always like three or four songs from the Outer Wilds in there, and I just could not get enough of them. It oh, so great. <laughs> yeah, no, 100% agree. I'm glad that we're out there. And hey, if you want to talk to somebody who has some big, big things to say about uh, Outer Wilds, you should get back in touch with uh, with Suka. He will talk your ear off about it. Yeah, I'll talk to him. I I might try to have him on the show if he's I think, available. I I think he'd like that. I'll I'll, I'll uh, set you guys up. See what yeah. we can do. Yeah, what give me his making? email or his, or his Google or something or his his, yeah. his Facebook he, machine. He's he's primarily off social media, but we'll talk after the show about that. Absolutely, absolutely, we will. Um, okay, so Outer Wilds was the last game you played. How did you get from Sesame Street ABC to Outer Wilds? <laughs> oh man, I've been asking myself this all day. Uh, and every we, we could back. We, we could kind of work in these, um, your favorite games, because I think a lot of them go, go kind of along that same timeline. Yeah, um, so yeah, like I mentioned earlier, like gaming has just been a part of my life as long as I can remember. Yeah, and, and a big part of it too. Uh, yeah, so my from Sesame Street, uh, ABC, and Sesame Street One, Two, Three. You know, I started like kind of grasping more complicated games like Ducktales. Uh, this is the one we talked about. But you know, there were, there were other games on there. Like I started like playing adventure games. Like, did you know there was? Do you know the movie Willow? Uh, yeah, George Lucas uh, attempt out of fantasy. There was a kind of Zelda-like game on the NES that, like, I played a whole lot of. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, Willow branded. Yeah, made by Capcom. It was. Uh, it's not that bad of a game. It's kind of got like this really old-school Japanese RPG impenetrable nature to it. For sure, Capcom game from the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's. It's worth looking at if you're just kind of interested in the type of adventure games that were coming out uh, at that time. Um, from the Genesis, I started playing like a lot of like platformers, Strider. Um, I, I started getting into like I started noticing the difference between like Japanese games and Western games yeah. on the uh, Genesis. Like there was this one game, uh, Valis Three. Okay. And if you Google any of the Valis game series, on, like on, or you put, go on YouTube and check out their cutscenes, like their anime is hell. You're, <laughs> you you are seeing anime cutscenes in this like side-scrolling action adventure game. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but for me, like I, I'll, I'll f- fully admit, like as a you know, as a kid growing up, like video games were like a kind of escapism. Uh, and but I, I even then I think I was getting some value out of them for like their storytelling quality. Like even something as primitive as Ballast Three or um or like 
uh, Deadly Labyrinth on, on the Genesis. Like, the amount of world-building video games can do uh, is something that always impressed me. Yeah. Uh, and and I probably didn't, like, fully realize that until I played uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on my N64 for the first time. Which was... Oh. it. it I, I cannot understate how important of a game this was to me and how I saw video games. Uh, just like The Outer Wilds or uh, Half-Life, for the like playing those for the first time. Yeah. Playing Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for the first time. Like, I... It made me realize what video games could be. Like, in... The, it, it was just a perfect storm of like of characters, of world building, of like e- there was a certain cinematic nature to the Legend of Zelda as well. Totally. Um, kind of the the ingenious ways that I think those uh, dungeons progress. Even the water dungeon, which people say is crap, but I disagree. <laughs> it's a good dungeon. Y'all just suck at video games. <laughs> There was a like the, the the storytelling in that game really opened my eyes to video games, and that's when I like really really kind of ingrained in myself like, oh, I love video games. I'm a gamer. I'm all about this. I want to see what more of there of this there is. For sure. Uh, yeah, and and from there it's it's been a slippery slope since then. I. Like, you know, buying magazines. Um, I read a lot of Game Informer, uh, and in high school, I was way into, um, like, EGM, Electronic Gaming Monthly, and... Um, yep. Or, or there used to be this uh, website, oneup.com, that yeah. would uh, produce a weekly show called The One-Up Show. And, like, that's where I first, like, heard people talk intelligently about games, not just, like, school kids, like, arguing about... Re- View scores, like I saw right. people talking about designs and like game developers, and like how one game, uh, a design element could work in one game but not the other, or like it was my first taste of real criticism, uh, and it, that's something I've carried out um, since then too. Yeah, I mean you're doing it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think the vocabulary I'm talking with about these games, like, comes directly from, like, every one-up video I've ever watched about, like, you know, oh, check check out these guys talk about Kid Icarus Uprising. Or, like, hey, um, the the new... How, what was that one super generic uh, Xbox 360 shooter where you had, like, a knifey boomerang uh, Dark Sector? That's what it was called. Dark Sector, yes. Yeah, but like just even like hearing people like talk about like, hey, this thing we've seen it a thousand times. It does this interesting thing, but you know, don't go, don't go out and spend your money on it. Right. Like it, it's yeah, and even like that level of criticism has kind of like carried out in other forms of writing and um, criticism that I've done. Like I used to before doing comedy, I was, in college, I was a lot more into, like, journalism and, like, ran my student newspaper, so I would, like, whenever we needed, like, space filled, I'd be like, well, I just played this video game. 
should probably write a game review. And sometimes the editor of that section would be like, hey, actually, you all you do is write game reviews. Why don't you put in, like, an album or a movie or something? So I, I would do that. I would take the the knowledge that I have, the vocabulary that I've used playing video games, and I would apply that to movies and, and TV shows and all that. And, you know, it's not a one-to-one, but video games really, okay. like, help me think about my media consumption in a really, really critical way. Yeah, I I can really relate to that, especially when you're saying that they helped in your media consumption, because I've found that I'm much more particular about what I watch and what I consume, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's music or TV or movies or whatever. Like, just a lot to do with video games and a lot of how I think about video games. And a lot of the same way, for me, it came much later, you know, and I was... Um, when I started like watching a lot of what IGN was offering and uh, um, a lot of the more modern sites, uh, Giant Bomb, yeah. um, uh, shoot, I can't think of one. Oh, GameSpot, mm-hmm. some of those like some of those outlets and what they've delivered. And since then, I've started like thinking a lot more. And it's been in recent years, but I started thinking a lot more critically about a lot of the things that I consume, just based, just like you were saying, on how. I base video games and kind of can compare that and put that up with those. So. Yeah, it, it, it's it's been a huge part of my life. So, like, again, uh, the the direct line between Sesame Street and uh, and Outer Wilds, I think, is peppered in with a lot of like these games that you know I probably would not have like paid attention to if it were not for like you know this this group of people that cared about video games as much as I did. Like, yeah. uh, um, I, I think, so I put on, so you, if you, you, you don't mind, we're going to talk about some of my favorite games. Absolutely. Yes. Next thing yes. On, on your list here. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I put on here, uh, like dark souls mm-hmm. because that's boy, that, that, that eat up a lot of my life. But before dark souls came out, I was really into demon souls uh which was <laughs> I don't know if you remember the scene when Demon Souls came out but it was just like this confusing like anomalous release that came out like when no when hmm? sorry when did it come out what 2009 year? okay so yeah. that was that was a weird time for games yeah it was a weird time cuz like, you know, if you think about the most popular games like Gears of War, Call of Duty, Halo, yeah. um, it, all these games were kind of exercises in, hold, like, holding your hand or, like, piping you down this, like, essentially, what is this roller coaster? Absolutely. Uh, exciting, but, you know, you can't go yeah. off the rails. Right. On-rail shooter, I mean. Yeah. It, 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 it would be, like, piping you down this hallway, essentially, but... It would curve up and introduce angles in that hallway to, you know, like, to seem more interesting. And, you know, that's a valid game design choice. I love those games. But I, you know, like, there was this really, if the games at that time really, really needed to make sure that you saw every bit of content. And make, there were master classes in making sure like, hey, if you don't understand something, we'll make sure you understand. Don't worry. 
Right, right. Uh, and Demon Souls came out and was like, nah, man, forget about it. <laughs> you, you, like, the first ten minutes of that game, like, it was kind of a tutorial. It's not a great tutorial, but you're supposed to die in it, right? Uh, right. You're supposed to die a bunch of times until you come to the final boss of the tutorial who could very well kill you in one hit. And instead of you making you fight that boss over, it's like, nah, we're just going to throw you in the game now. This is what you're in for. This is what you paid money to see. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was just kind of – it It was one of those games that, again, respected the player's ability to overcome those challenges and gave you the tool sets to complete those challenges. Um. Uh, like the first, the first l- true level of Demon Souls, uh, was just like kind of this generic castle that you had to infiltrate. Uh, and the first three or four enemies are just like kind of zombie dudes who like wildly like wave around their swords. And you know, like in any video game, like in Super Mario, there's like a Goomba. You learn how to deal with a Goomba, right? Right. Like you, Jump on its head and then you move on and you realize you could do that for every Goomba. Yep. Um, for action games, it'd be like, oh, um, like a giant rat. You, you swipe a couple times at the giant rat, you get to move on. Uh, but Demon Souls, like, and the thing, well, the thing I'm trying to say about is these early games, these early game enemies, like, weren't always going to be lethal. They were there to introduce the combat system to you. Yeah. In a really, in a safe environment. Demon mm-hmm. Souls, like with those, the Goombas of that game, uh, are like those zombie dudes. The thing is that they're entirely lethal. Like if you get, and what that game teaches you is that oh, if you let one of these guys wail on you with without you doing anything, you're going to die. Or if you let two or three of these guys kind of surround you, you're gonna have a bad time. Right. So, so in that same sense, it is still teaching you that combat system, but also teaching you like, hey, like every element of this world can potentially be lethal to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm talking way too much about Demon Souls now. I, but no, no, no. <laughs> I think I think that just goes to show that I entirely love like what that did for video games. Absolutely. Um, like last year, uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice came out. Yes. Uh, a game that I entirely love. I've beaten every From Software game. Uh, be, not not just because it's like, you know, gamer get good challenge. Right. But because I really appreciate the world building that developer does. Yeah. And, uh, and it overcoming those really difficult challenges. Yeah. And, and I guess that's just the type of gamer I am now is I appreciate world building and 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 difficulty in games too um that's just like one half of that coin i suppose uh, the other half really appreciating like multiplayer shooters on pc and stuff those are interesting halves to the coins yeah <laughs> yeah not that, like, not that shooters can't be hard or have tons of lore but a lot of times it's difficult to find that in in the popular shooters yeah uh, especially and, the multiplayer shooters i think yeah, I and I I just suppose I I 
you know, and this is aside from like the narrative type games that I really enjoy, like Outer Wilds or like a Chrono Trigger or a Legend of Zelda, where I just appreciate the storytelling in there. You know, I think games also have like this really interesting way of introducing challenge and letting you overcome that challenge. And I'm just finding like from software games, just let me experience that in a really artificial way. Uh, or other games like, uh, like FTL. Uh, I don't know if you yeah. ever heard of that game. Um, yep. Or like just roguelikes in general. I'm very mm-hmm. into uh, games that let you, I'm, I'm sort of attracted to games that let you fail repeatedly. Yeah. For you to get better yeah. is something I'm realizing now, like as I'm talking to you. <laughs> like I I like games that let you that let you fail. Uh because I think a game that doesn't let you fail, like uh the worst example of this was uh Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Yeah. Uh, that just like completely held your hand and didn't let you really overcome challenges in your own pace. Like right. There, there are a couple dungeons in that game that are really good, but like the last dungeon in that game is actually really spectacular. Uh, but you know, it takes like forty hours to get there. I think it's interesting how looking at just Zelda in general and that series of games, and then get something like Majora's Mask, mm-hmm. where again, it is that game that's a little bit it lets you fail, and lets you is kind of designed for you to fail with that timer and that reset. Uh, just like it yeah. is, there is in the Outer Wilds. And then to look at something like Scabbard Sword or Breath of the Wild, where <laughs> failure is one of those things that you've just got to do because you've got to experiment, you've got to figure things out. Like, yeah, you got to let this world mess you up. And, like, I don't know, uh, and to get a little bit more personal, but like, um, yeah. after, like, high school and, like, during college, like, I started, like, taking my mental health a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um and especially when I was in university, I was dealing with some severely untreated depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just, that was messing me up in a lot of ways. Uh, and, you know, I guess one of the things they say is like, if you're not dealing with your, um, with your depression, you're essentially making everyone else around you deal with it. Uh, okay. so like, you know, I was really, not just shooting myself in the foot uh, with making, like, my college experience, like, way too hard. But, like, you know, like, loved ones and friends were, like, not doing – like, they were they were having to pick up the pieces after me at certain points. Yeah. Um, so when I started taking that health, like, issue more seriously, you know, uh, seeing a therapist, taking antidepressants, you know, you know, part of that is, all like – part of the overall health plan is like kind of like changing your outlook on difficult situations. Cause I don't know if this is true for other, you know, people with depression, but for me, uh, it's really easy to withdraw from the entire world when, uh, when you're just encountered with a seemingly overwhelming situation. Totally. Yeah. And then, but what these games kind of do for me, personally speaking, uh, like the From Software games, Majora's Mask, um, FTL is, I don't, in an artificial sense, they are creating like these exceedingly, like overwhelmingly difficult positions for you, uh, and then giving you like the tools to like work your way out of them, or like 
and I think something more importantly, just saying like, hey, you didn't you didn't get the result you wanted this time, but there's a next time. Yeah. Uh, so for me, like, I really enjoy just that sensation of like, okay, this fucking sucks, but. I know in my mind if I just work hard enough or if I just figure out enough about this world or these systems, I can pull through. And if I don't pull through, well, we'll just try again later. So that's, Absolutely. Yeah, so for, for me, that that carries a bit of a personal meaning for me. Like, hey, man, if I, man, if, if I could defeat the Guardian Ape in Sekiro... You know, I could I could probably, you know, not have an anxiety attack over this math test I'm having. That's that's so encouraging to hear. And it's it's I mean, it also again speaks to you as you were in 2009, you were in college. Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of in the middle of it and everything like that. And did you hear you talk about Demon's Souls and how you were playing that kind of at that same time? Did you make that connection then? I don't um, think I did. I don't think I did. Um and there's something even like more uh another dot we can connect here between demon souls or dark souls and like you know uh someone who experiences depression because those worlds are like inherently like bummers yeah like Absolutely. like like those are like dying worlds and like the anybody you encounter in those dying worlds are like just like forlorn, forlorn, or they're crestfallen at that point mm-hmm. uh, about that dying world. Um, but you know, every now and then there's that there's that ray of hope, and like in retrospect, I think uh, yeah, as someone with untreated depression at that time, you know, I was just like always looking for that ray of hope, or I didn't know where that next ray of hope would come from. Um. And, you know, as a philosophy that the, those games carry, because, you know, that game, those games don't have, like, any cutscenes or anything. They just kind of put the story out there and let you figure it or figure out the lore yourself. Like, it is kind of encouraging to, like, play a game and see, like, yeah, this entire world is overwhelming and bearing down on you. But, you know, this, this, you, this squeaky little character in, in, tinfoil armor can you know can take on this iron giant can take on uh the, like these witches uh through through sheer perseverance and um and like you know hold, holding steadfast against a challenge uh and and it wasn't until years later where i realized like oh i was that's what attracted me to that game and i'm not going to say that those games, like, you know, cured my depression, but it helped me manage it and also kind of uh, process it in a way that 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 eventually did help. You know, you know, getting to to a place, you know, where I could healthily deal with with those challenges. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, hey, how about that? How's that for your podcast? That's great. That's great. No, I'm always glad to, I'm always glad to, of course, you're a friend of mine. I want to talk to you about your personal things as well. 
appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate you going into that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I and I really do think that a lot of people who appreciate those difficult games, you know, might be getting that out of those particular games. For sure. I do want to talk about a game that you've got here listed as your, one of your favorite games. Um, that was a difficult one for me to kind of comprehend when I played it. Uh, I played it years after it came out, and that's Mass Effect 2. Yeah. Um, I played the Mass Effect trilogy just because somebody that I work with said, you know, you're going to watch my car, or you're going to keep your car, my, sorry, I was going to keep his car in my garage over the winter. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a second garage as an apartment. So I was going to keep his car at my garage over the winter, and he was going to buy me the Mass Effect trilogy to play. He said, you have to play this game. This All is right. this is how I'll pay you for this. Um, and I played it, and I played the first one, and just kind of breezed through it, and I didn't really didn't really care. I was just trying to get to the end of the game. But Mass Effect 2, holy shit. <laughs> Mass Effect 2's... Boy, that I think that might be the one of my favorite games of that generation, that or like Red Dead Redemption, um, mm-hmm. re- both really blew my mind. But Mass Effect, as a series, uh, and as someone who is like, you know, these days like trying to do a little bit more fiction writing, like I really appreciate the world building done in the Mass Effect games, the dialogues yeah, yeah. that you have, like because some of that is like some really solid dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I and the Mass Effect 2 I think stands out in that trilogy um just because the the pacing of it is so good. Yes, like the 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 themes that it's building to um cuz that the whole game is all about, you know, what in the game they're calling the suicide mission, right? Right. Um and you know, this game came out one 2007, 2008. Um, who knows, but like, so spoiler alert, if you wanted to play that game, but yeah, that game is about you assembling a crew to go on this suicide mission. There's kind of this like Ocean's Eleven, you know, uh, yeah. uh nature to it, <laughs> which totally. you're, you're, you're assembling the best of the best, yeah. willing, willing to go through this like legendarily like deadly relay uh it's it's really good at setting its stakes it's really good at you know painting those characters like the elusive Mm -hmm. man is where they introduce him in that game yes god i love the elusive man like i love yeah that his presence in the game yeah uh who was that was that michael sheen uh michael sheen plays the elusive man and he's just (laughs) he's Eating up the scenery, uh, talking to Shepard, uh, like uh, he's acting his heart out, and it shows. Um, I don't know that Mass Effect Two is. Uh, it, it's one of those games I wish I could like erase my brain for, so I could experience it again. Because just Absolutely. some of the moments of introducing that in there is is so cool. Is it the whole the whole story and the kind of the twists and turns of the entire plot and the it's so crazy and I think I mean all Mass Effect games well 
<laughs> Most Mass Effect games do this really well. <laughs> there's a little bit of subversion, a little bit of mystery about what's going on, and then they finally come through and they deliver on the story really, really well. And that Mass Effect 2, that last mission, the first time I ran it, I destroyed my entire crew. <laughs> like, because I did not realize what was required to, to run the suicide mission. And the suicide mission was exactly that, where everyone died. I thought... I've got nobody left. It's just me. And I watched the cutscene of that happening and every one of my crewmates dying. Every one of these people that I got to know and I, I helped throughout the game are all dead now. <laughs> what was this all for? Yeah. Uh, boy, my love interest died in the suicide mission. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, Tali. There we go. I remember her That's- name. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that I that's the one that I lost to in the end when I finally when I finally beat it. Uh, I, that was I lost Tali, and then when I played Mass man. Effect Three, apparently there was a choice that I missed out on pretty big. <laughs> I'm sure you did too. The, your first playthrough. Yeah, it uh, boy, God, what a, a lot of people hate on Mass Effect Three. I'm I'm a bit of a Mass Effect Three apologist. I'm not gonna say it's the best of the series. Um, but I think people are really too hard on that game. I think so too, especially like Mass Effect 1 was to me nothing great. Like I was not super mm. impressed with it at the end of the day. Um, I really like Mass Effect 2. I really like Mass Effect 3. Uh, I did play Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Why it was maybe five months after it came out. Um, so they'd fixed a lot of stuff by the time I'd gotten around to playing it. Okay. So you, <laughs> I mean... Man, some of those bug videos are real good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't get stuck in walls all the time, but sometimes NPCs would get stuck in walls. Hmm. And I have to restart, you know, the game, because I couldn't kill an enemy because they're falling through the planet or something. <laughs> no, that's just uh, that, that's something the Reapers introduced. It's phasing technology. Yeah, yeah. That was it. That's that's the the lore (laughs) for that. That's how I justified it. Actually, I didn't touch Andromeda. I just, I didn't want to, I did not want to depress myself with that game. Yep, yep, that's reasonable. The story is not great, and it's, there's no subversion to it at all. It's a very black and white, you know, thing. And it's, it's just boring. And the the combat is really fun, and some of the side missions are really fun. I, man, <laughs> I, I need to get back to this. I you didn't like Mass Effect One, huh? I wasn't as big of a fan as two and three for sure. Uh, okay. I I really just played one, and I just sped through it because I was like, I just gotta finish this game. Oh man! Also, the I, Mako, like I just I, I hated driving the Mako. Eh, I, you know I couldn't what? do it. I didn't think it was that bad. That's fair. That's fair. You know, it was was the best, but, you know, I got through through levels. Like, what more do you want? It's got six wheels. It jumps like crazy. It does jump like crazy. Yeah. For whatever reason, I couldn't control it. That that space tank got big hops. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, God, I love Mass Effect 1, like... As a writer, I love Mass Effect One more than oh for uh, sure than the other games because it introduces that that galaxy that universe mm-hmm. like it 
narratively, like, I think the lore of it is so interesting. Um, I think it's mostly well, really well thought out, uh, and just introduces, like, like, all these interesting, not, not just, like, races and, like, you know, fiction, like, fiction for, like, the space travel and, like, technology, but introduces, like, political forces and, like, the cultures of these species in a way that really piques my interest. Uh, and, like, some of the writing I've done, like, personally, has been a little inspired by that. Just like, oh, like, if, if like, if, if, and, like, one of, one of my favorite, like, species is the, uh, the Hanar in there. Yes. They're, like, the, je- the jellyfish type dudes. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, they're, like, not at all, uh, important to the game, and they're just kind of, like, set dressing at a certain point. But yeah, I love they just hang on the Citadel all the time. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I love that, that like, they, they're this non-humanoid species that, like, is just, like, hanging out with their humanoids, and, like, they'll just tell you stuff about, like, oh, yeah, um, you may know my, uh, outside name, but you, but Hanar have a soul name, which we use for, you know, personal friends and close ones. Like, god, that, like, that was just, like, a really interesting detail to me, like, the physiology yeah. of them. They're, like, these telepathic jellyfish. Yeah. Uh, like, the game considered, like, how they would interact with the rest of the species in that game. Uh, and just, and just little bits and details to, like, make them feel real. And, and that's what I love about, a uh, story, like, my favorite type of story building is the type of, like, world building that, uh, makes that world field lived in. Like, yes. there are actual people living here. They, you know, like, you can answer the questions like, what do they eat? Like, how do they relate to other people? What are their cultures and customs like? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I'll eat that stuff up. Like, if it's done yeah. well. Yeah, Mass Effect has that in droves. Yeah. And it was a little bit frustrating, again, in Andromeda when they just, they really just kind of threw a lot of that stuff away and tried to start fresh. And yeah. And it, it did not work out. See, like, and that and that's my favorite <laughs> stuff about Mass Effect. It's... It's that galaxy, those sets of races, like, the political mm-hmm. history of those races, like, and, like, like, the relationship between, like, the Krogans and the Salarians, like, I think, like, example, or the Krogans versus the entire universe, you know, like, hey, we help yeah. the universe, and then we, we, we saved the galaxy, and our reward was, like, almost genocide, so thanks. Like, yeah. It's God, that game's so good. Ah, I should play it right now. <laughs> Gonna stream it. Makes, it this conversation makes me want to jump back into it because, like, it sounds a lot of. I mean, it's just uh, it's so great. It's good. So, I wanna. We're gonna move forward. Okay. We're yeah. Questions here. We're I, gonna, I, I bet this is running a little long. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do a little bit of rapid fire for the next two. I think. Okay. Uh, what is your preferred system? Preferred okay. gaming system? My pre- oh, my preferred gaming system. Okay, I yeah. misread this original question. No, no, um, no. Yeah, uh, my preferred gaming system is the PC. Okay, the PC. Uh, sure, yeah, you. I I have a gaming PC. I I also, you know, aside from like being able to run games the way I run want to run them, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it I think has the like the widest library of games. You're gonna Absolutely. get a, like, a, you're gonna get a lot of good indie hits. A lot of the major yep. releases come out for it anyway, save yep. for exclusives. Um, and I think FPS shooters, um, FPS shooters. That's like saying ATM machine, right? It's first person shooters. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah first person shooters, real time strategy games. Like play, I think play better on a PC. Yeah, I'd much rather play it that way. Um, yeah. If I want to like relax on a couch, I could just stream it to a TV with a controller. Um, I I, th- I just think you're getting the best of all worlds. And uh, yeah, and if if I want to play an exclusive game, you know, some people just uh, break the law. You know, sometimes yeah. a game falls off the back of a truck, it's up on yeah. your hard drive. Yeah. You know, I've heard that. I've heard that once or twice. Yeah, you know, so if I, I know a guy. <laughs> um, what would your dream game be? Your dream video game? Oh boy! All right. Uh, there is this game that came that I played a lot of on the SNES called mm-hmm. Uncharted Waters Two: New Horizons. It was a game that took place in the 1600s. It was, uh, and like, it was a ship exploration game, right? Sprite based. Um, but it just had like all these intricate mechanics working for itself. Um, it had like decent combat mechanics where you could be, you could choose to be like a trading ship, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, that would mean like, you know, figuring out, like, the best trade routes from one place to another. Or you could be, like, part of an army. Or you could just be a pirate ship and steal, sh- like, shit. Like... Yeah. Um, nice. Or, like, there there were, like, different... Like, so each... So there were, like, six different playable characters in that game, and each one kind of represented a different play style. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could be the, like, trade merchant whose, like, goal is to, like, make money. Like, buy stuff and make money. You could be like an explorer would be like, oh, make money by finding artifacts. Um, you could be a cartographer, which would be like, just get it all mapped out, baby. And then the combat ones were like, oh, you could be part of like um, a part of like the Royal Armada or you could be a pirate. And there there was something about that. Like the way those systems interacted, that really engrossed me in that game. Mm-hmm. And I would like nothing more for there to be like a modern remake, the same way like Stardew Valley made uh, Harvest Moon games type games like popular again. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I I don't care if I see it in 3D. I don't care if I have to make it happen. <laughs> but it, it's just gotta happen, man. I was gonna say, would you want it in the style of like uh? Like Black Flag, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Um, if for that 3D third person gameplay, I, or I, I I could see it working really well there because I know the ship combat in that game is like really good. Yeah. Uh, the ship combat in Uncharted Waters 2: New Horizons was like more RTS based. Okay. So, you know, maybe a marriage of the two would be really interesting to see. Okay. Uh. I'm just trying to get a feel of what you're what you're doing. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or anything. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, don't don't worry. Put all the words you want in my mouth. I got a lot of words. Got a lot of mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I could really see that being a fun mechanic. Uh, but I think just as fun is like you know exploring, you know, like a a mostly accurate map of like 1600s Earth. Yeah. Yeah, like with with like working wind cur- like wind systems and mm-hmm. like known currents like that work in the game. Uh like you you could if you really want to do in that game, you could like do the whole like India like spice trade route if you really wanted to. And and it and it works. It's like super profitable to go from like the UK, like around the coast of Africa into India and buy spices and then work your way back. It's and you get crazy rich just from doing that, but also it's a really difficult route to pull off. I want to see that in a modern game. Yeah, yeah. This this sounds really good. Cause yeah. I got really into Black Flag and I got really into some of the there were weirder mechanics when it came to Assassin's Creed Rogue, which is essentially mm. Black Flag but in Canada. Um <laughs> Canadian Black Flag, eh? Great. So <laughs> they um they had these mechanics where you would fight the war on different fronts using a very like rudimentary RTS system. Um where oh. you would fight wars in Africa or in India, in um Asia, you know, again the French versus the English and that sort of thing. Um little naval battles. Which are pretty fun. Um, one of my favorite aspects of that game, or one of my favorite mini games of that game. So I wonder. I I could. What I'm trying to say is, I could get super into a 16th century maritime game. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think there's a lot to it. God, I'm even like really feeling nostalgic over, uh, like even like deciding like what ships to include in a fleet, uh, like. Deciding yeah. how many cannons go on a ship, oh, uh, or like you know, or or even like you you could like buy like Chinese junk ships, and not not that they're garbage. That's just what they're called, a junk. Right. Like and like include that in your fleet. Uh, and if I remember, they had like a really good like wind speed, so it was mm-hmm. advantageous to have that. They had port combat abilities. God, this game is so good. <laughs> uh, they there there is like modern sequels to it, but they've only come out in Asia. And I think right now the latest sequel is a game released in 2014 that's an MMO and I have no interest in that. I was, okay, that was my next question was uh, what about multiplayer? Uh Oh, I could I can imagine like a light multiplayer like something like what a Dark Souls does like hey, like Okay. Like piracy is a thing in that game, right? So, right. like, can you imagine? Like, oh, I'm trying to do my India trade route, and what if I just encountered another ship on that route? It could be yeah. a pirate. It could be another like trade ship, and we could like trade for profit. Who knows? Like, like it, I, I could see that system like working incredibly well, uh, in in a 16th century, 17th century maritime game. Mm-hmm. Oh man. 
Maybe not in a massive multiplayer way, though. But maybe no. like a like I, a three or four people per server. You run into each other maybe once an hour, kind of a thing. Yeah, I would not want to like like play play that game, land in port, and be greeted by Blaze It Four Twenty XDX, right? And then twenty different versions of that. Like right. I I kind I kind of want that again. World building matters a lot to me, so like. Yeah. I would want that world to be like, you know, sustained and like, you know, kind kind of a walled garden. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh God. Yeah. I would love a game like that. Nice. Perfect. I'm looking. I got. I hope somebody makes it. <laughs> there's there's lots of talks about maritime game, and I know Ubisoft has one, Skull and Bones, that's been. In development forever, they showed gameplay of it like six years ago, and nobody's ever talked about it since. And so it doesn't need to be that. Make it sprite based. Make it two D, baby. Just listen. If if uh, I keep on making the comparison to Stardew Valley, yeah, like this, because yeah. like that that blew up in a really big way that I was not expecting because I was a big Harvest Moon fan myself, right. and uh, well, if they can if they can do that for Harvest Moon. Somebody could do that for Uncharted Waters. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, my last question for you here is, what are you looking forward to in the future of gaming? Okay. So uh, this answer is like a bit technical, but there's a good reason for it. Um, and it's SSDs being standard on like gaming consoles. Yeah. Because uh, right now games are being, like, you know, I, I mentioned PC gaming, like, being the way I like to consume games. Yeah. Uh, and we've had solid state drives for years. Um, and the reason that's important is because, you know, load times are super fast on PC because of solid state drives. Right. Um, however, on consoles, that's like... You, that's not a standard thing, so you can't really build games around that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on in the next generation, uh, that's going to be a standard thing now, and yes. I totally like the same way like having like more RAM space like allowed for like cool games like uh like th- what was that Middle Earth game? Uh, Shadow Shadow of War. Shadow of War. Yeah. yeah. Or Shadow of Mordor and then Shadow of War. Yeah. So like yeah. those games couldn't exist on previous consoles like the. The Nemesis system, right? Uh, like the old consoles just didn't have enough memory for it. Uh, so for SSDs, I think it's going to change the game in a similar way, where uh, you can like load a whole bunch of assets into a game, and you can load it quickly. Like they uh, they showed it off a little bit in uh, a PS4 event recently. Where they yeah, were playing yeah. a Ratchet and Clank game, um, yep. and he shot some sort of portal gun, mm-hmm. and like on the fly, uh, the characters were moving from like one dimension to another, like an entirely different world, w- without seeing a loading screen. Yep. So like, like imagine how exciting that is, like being able to introduce entire worlds. Or being able to like swap characters or assets out on the fly, uh, like they were showing this off with like the Spider-Man game that came out recently. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Like, imagine, like, all of New York just being loaded at once. You don't have... Like, the reason Spider-Man moves at the speed he does is because it's accounting for load times. But imagine if that wasn't a limitation. Right. You know, I'm I'm not a game designer. I can only, like, speculate. But I'm sure, like, game designers who have that limitation removed are going to come up with some crazy stuff. Stuff that I won't be able to imagine. And that's Mm -hmm. what excites me, is that it's just kind of... Uh, <laughs> uncharted waters for <laughs> these developers here. So I'm really excited to see what that, like, you know, brings out. You know, yeah, I... Outer Wilds too, but bigger. Yeah, it's a whole galaxy this time. Yeah, imagine <laughs> that. Yeah! <laughs> Two suns explode. <laughs> the, um... Yeah, the SSD thing's really interesting, and... I'm excited for for what it means for gaming just as a as a whole. I mean, just like you had mentioned, where PCs had has had it for a while, and it's been games have been held back, I think, a lot by consoles. And hopefully now um, that consoles will have it, they'll be able to move forward. Game developers will be able to move forward with it and make games that will, you know, number one, make money because that's what video games are designed to do, honestly. Um, but number two, like they're going to be, everybody's going to be getting the same game. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to be able to play that game in the exact same way, which is, is going to be super exciting. I mean, not the exact same way, but for the most part, it'll be in the same way. I'm a little bit nervous about what Xbox is doing with it, because Xbox's first-party games are not going to be exclusive to the new console. So something like Halo Infinite, mm-hmm. uh, which should be coming out this fall, it is going to be able to be played on a base Xbox One, which makes me a little bit, a little bit nervous about it. I, you know what? I, I think with uh, Xbox games, I think they're definitely not going to take advantage of it just because you, there's going to be like, I don't want to call it backwards, com- like forward compa- compatibility. Let's yeah, say. yeah, yeah. The fun marketing term. Um, they. They're not going to take advantage of all that, but I really do think, and the, this has been a rumor for a while, but Microsoft has been trying to move to, like, how it's handled on, you know, phones, where, you know, you, at some point, the newer versions, like, the newer games are just not going to be supported on this older console. Right. And, you know, I, right now, that's, that's, I don't think... That's a dumb move because it just that only widens their base, right? Mm-hmm. Where they yeah. could just where they could uh, eventually just start weaning people off that old console. Yep. Uh, so you could, and then once you have like a, a critical mass with that new console, you can you know then start introducing the games that like would have would only be possible with a solid state drive. For sure, and I do think that with Microsoft with the the foundation it's laying in its streaming service, its game streaming service, I think is really going to pave the way for, you know, hey, you may not have an Xbox Series X right now, and we're going to make, you know, whatever, Halo 8 is going to be the first game mm-hmm. that is exclusive to the Series X, or exclusive, you need a solid state drive to run this. But hey, don't worry. If you don't have that yet, you can play it over the cloud 
on a solid state drive that lives in Redmond, Washington, you know? Yeah. Um, or, or like, or your nearest available data center. Like it's exactly. Yeah. It's going to like, yeah, this, this console connects to a satellite and your game lives in space or anything like that <laughs> is going to, that's, I do think we're going to see some games move in that direction. I know on the PC side, um, like Stadia is, it hasn't sure. gained a lot of steam, but it, and you know what? I don't have a whole lot of hope for it, but it is Google, so they could, they, they could kill that project, or they could just throw a ton more money at it and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it's kind of fifty-fifty, right? With them, you never know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, who knows what's going to happen with it? I, I wish the technology worked better than it did. Um, yeah. And on. And there, there's uh, uh, some services that will connect to your Steam library. I think uh, mm-hmm. GeForce is trying to do that, or NVIDIA's GeForce is trying to yep. do something like that. Um, and I also know that they are uh, get, getting some some weird pullouts from like other companies, who are like, "Wait, you're doing what? No, we want some money too." Uh, yeah, yeah. Which you know, I get it. <laughs> you want money. Um, so, so who knows where the streaming will eventually land? Uh, so for me, I, I'm look. So you're you're not wrong. I am looking like more to like PlayStation or in Sony to like see where they take that technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as far as like things to look forward to, it's always exciting to see what Nintendo's up to. Yeah, uh, like I I'm looking at my Switch right now, thinking like actually I. I I've been playing that console way more than my PS4. The Nintendo's always kind of an oddball, and I mean, it'll be interesting to see because the Switch is such a big jump for them and such a big risk, and it paid off immensely. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's been fantastic. Um, after the failures of the Wii U, they needed that to to come forward and to be something really big, and it was. It just, I'm really curious about where they're going next, and you can never tell with Nintendo. Because yeah. they always do something so creative and so different that everybody kind of looks at it and goes, huh, really, that's what you're going with. And it works out just about every time, you know, nine times out of eight, or I guess nine times out of ten. I guess so. Uh, boy, I should look into getting a virtual boy. Yeah. Uh, now, that, now that's a clunker of a machine. Holy cow. Yeah. I remember, I remember playing that at a like a cousin's house and getting a headache from playing that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That thing sucks. <laughs> it can't, you can't move around with it, right? It just sits on the table. You just yeah, got to kind of stick a, your it's, face it's, into it. Yeah. It does. Whoop. All right. They've been using the game boy name for a while at that point. Implying like, Oh, if, if it's a thing boy, it must be portable. That thing is not at all portable. No, no. A lot. Pick it up. It's a lie of a system. <laughs> Who knows? All Maybe. right, on your rant on yeah. the Virtual Boy, I think we're going to start closing up here. I, Luis, I want to thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You're the second guest I've had. Oh. Um, it's really exciting. So Yeah, no, this was really fun. Uh, it was good catching up with you. It was Absolutely. Uh, I, You know, I will talk about video games at any point of the day. Uh 
So yeah, just hey, hit me up later if you if you need another guest. I'll be around. For sure. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this. Unfortunately, like I, I gotta start getting to bed. I gotta be up at four in the morning. But wow. um, <laughs> yeah, that's to too early. It's it's way too early. Um, but again, I want to thank you for having. I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to thank you for taking the time off for talking games, for for being funny, for offering a lot of like really good insight, really knowledgeable insight, really deep insight um, to the show. I really appreciate all of that. Uh, if people wanted to reach out to you, if they've got any questions about anything you had to say on the show today, where would they be able to reach you? Um, I'm most reachable uh, through Twitter uh, at agent underscore Eli. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram that way too. It's no biggie. Just put pictures of dogs and <laughs> usually screenshots of tweets that I'm particularly proud of. So <laughs> you know what? Just go to Twitter. How about that? Perfect. Uh, yeah. Also uh, on my Twitter bio, uh, you can also find my personal website, LuisMakesWords.com, and if you want to shoot me a message through that. Uh, there is a contact me uh, part of there where you can just type in your message. I'll get back to you. Awesome. You can yeah. reach me and uh, any of our guests. I'll forward on questions from any of our guests. Uh, you can reach that at extragamepad at gmail.com. Go ahead and send us an email. Uh, if you've got any questions that you want to hear from our guests or uh, anything you want to add to the show, just go ahead to extragamepad at gmail.com. Type that in your in your email to column and then send a body. Uh, you can put a subject. You don't have to put a subject, but you could put a subject. And then click the send button. It's usually in the form of an arrow somewhere in your inbox. If you haven't yeah. used email in a while, just, maybe just don't send it. Just call me. Yeah. Pick me up. Hey, if, if you haven't heard about this thing called email... I got some news for you. It's the bee's knees. <laughs> welcome to 1995. Yeah, welcome to the Super Information Highway. <laughs> the World Wide Web. All right, AOL uh, keyword th- extra gamepad. Find us <laughs> yeah. on GeoCities. <laughs> extra gamepad dot geocities dot com. Hey, I hope I really hope you lock down that URL. I I hope so too. I haven't looked into that yet. I've got a lot of stuff I need to like actually get my shit together and do. I'm just really busy. Okay. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Uh, Louise, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate you. Really appreciate having you on. I hope you guys have a good day. And remember, I've always got an extra game pad just for you. <laughs>